Hello, and welcome back to The Resistible Rise of J.R. Brinkley, brought to you by Untitled Theatre Company No. 61, a theater of ideas located in New York City. This is part three of four episodes. I am Dan Butler, your narrator and host. And here again is the artistic director and playwright, Edward Einhorn. And what are we hearing now? This is Julia Hoffman playing the violin. It's a tune you probably know called Turkey in the Straw. Yes. <laughs> it uh, dates back to about the early 19th century, and it's a precursor to country music. And I'm playing it because this episode will be talking a little bit more about the history of country music. Yes, we will. And here with us to talk about it is Dr. Sam Parler, Assistant Professor of Music History at Baylor University. His work is focused on race and respectability politics in early country music media. Welcome to the show, Dr. Parler. Hi, thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking to you. And there's a little music again on today's show, isn't there, Edward? Yes, uh, it's a parody of the song My Heart's Tonight in Texas, which was made famous by the Carter family. It was written in 1900 by Max Witt and Robert Roden. Okay. Brinkley helped introduce the Carter family to the world, didn't he, Dr. Parler? He did. He was really important in helping to get the Carter family on the radio in the 1930s. And how did it come about? Were they personal friends, or what was the connection? I believe that rather than being personal friends, the Carter family's manager, a person that helped to record a lot of their hits, a man named Ralph Peer, was looking for ways to popularize the Carter family on the radio, and he's the one that got in touch with Brinkley and brought them to the radio station. A match made in heaven. Well, we're going to hear more about that at the end of the episode, about that and other things. I look forward to it. Meanwhile, Edward's going to tell us a little about the theater company. Untitled Theater Company No. 61 has been making theater in New York since 1994. Like all theaters during this pandemic, we are reinventing ourselves in order to continue to create theater. We need your help. This year, we do not have a box office to rely on, many of the grants have gone away or shrunk, and our donor base is not able to support us the way they have in the past. All of our work focuses on ideas, political, scientific, philosophical, and above all, theatrical. Our style is inspired by theater of the absurd, mixing the comic and the tragic. In the 2000s, we ran the Ionesco Festival and the Havel Festival. Also working closely with former Czech president and playwright Václav Havel, Ionesco and Havel's work have been a continuing inspiration for our style. To learn more about our work and the history of our theater, or to contribute, please visit our website, untitledtheater.com. And now, let's move on to our story. When we left the story last, Brinkley had just lost the governorship, his radio station, and his medical practice in Kansas. But in Texas, he was thriving. And in nearby Mexico, he was back on the radio again. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to XER, the sunshine station between the nations, broadcasting to you from somewhere between Villa Acuna, Mexico, and my new home in Del Rio, Texas. Some of you may remember me from Kansas, and yes indeed, from where I'm sitting right now, not only can my friends in Kansas hear me, but also most of America, as well as the many nations of Central America. So howdy! Or should I say, awaitos de ass to you folks too. 
We are broadcasting at 1 million watts, the strongest signal in the world. Those who are familiar with our program will recognize some of our country music performers who have come right down here with us. And of course, as always, my wife Minnie is right here by my side. Be you knows, die as. How do you like it down here in Texas, Minnie? I like it just fine. We have an awfully nice house. Yes, we do. If any of you listeners are in the area, I'd love to have you drop by. Every time I am on the air, we'll be having the water fountains dance at the Brinkley House on Qualia Drive, right in our front yard. And we'll be piping out some organ music to accompany it, played by our organist and my personal bodyguard, Joe O'Toole. Plus, as a special treat, we brought ourselves a few flamingos. It is without any doubt the most impressive display you'll find in the country truly entertaining. Our boy Johnny loves it. Now, some of you who are tuning in to us for the first time may have heard a little about my cure for the most sensitive of masculine ailments. It was a bit of a touchy subject back in Kansas, wasn't it? Why, they took your broadcasting license away just for talking about it. But I'm a doctor. And I don't think that talking about the natural functions of the human body is obscene. And it seems they feel the same way down here in Mexico because they welcomed us here with open arms. And if our broadcasting signal happens to be so strong that we can be heard throughout the United States of America, well, I suppose it's just the way things work out sometimes. It's physics. And talking about science, let me tell you a bit more about my newest discovery. The latest innovation for men who cannot sustain a penile erection. Let me start by assuring you I have seen men of all types with this problem. Millionaires and movie stars. And you've cured it too. That I have. Up until now, it required surgery of the most delicate nature involving the transplantation of gonads. Now the AMA thought they could stop my important work by taking away my license. But they can't prevent me from inventing a medicine that does the work. And that's exactly what I've done. Essence of goat testicle. Right from the bottle. Formula 1020, we call it. You men who are listening, why hold back? You know your prostate is diseased and infected. Why twist and squirm around the old cockleburr when for as little as $100 for five ampules, a cure can be yours. And for just a few thousand, we offer a lifetime of service plan. Why, we're losing money on that, I think. Well, I'm not going to complain about that because I am here to cure people, nothing more. You are the nicest, most humble man I have ever met. That's why I fell in love with you. I only want to know nice people. I don't go near the other kind. I have to say, many of my patients tell me I am the nicest man they've ever met. Oh, I know they do. I've got just one motto, always tell the truth, never tell a lie under any circumstances. That's a good motto to have. I think so. And if you want to hear more from my wife, Minnie, just tune in Sunday nights. She has her own show now. It's about hemorrhoids. In Texas, Brinkley was more successful than ever. And some new stars started gracing his radio station, stars with their own products to sell. Brinkley welcomed them all for a fee. Soon he had quite a collection of miracle workers, like Rose 
Dawn, patroness of the secret order of Maya. Many years ago, I first encountered an ancient Mayan temple, and the carvings I found on its wall led me to a journey both profound and revealing. I was blessed to become the modern keeper of the Mayan order, the secret teachings of that mysterious race. Many people who have used this secret system claim wonderful improvement in mind power. Some give credit to Mayan teachings for helping gain new love from wives or husbands. Others tell of astonishing new health. If you are an average man or woman who is in a rut financially and mentally, just five dollars could buy you a step-by-step -step guide to obtaining your desire. Isn't that amazing? <clears throat> Always wonderful to hear from you, Rose. I know you've helped thousands of people with your work, but we're going to take a quick break now for some of that country music our listeners love. Here at XER, we like to give young singers their chance to make a mark. And today, you'll hear a quite talented young man by the name of Gene Autry. But right now, you're going to hear a new song from my old friend, The Blind Cowboy. Do I understand you've written this song in honor of our new station, Cowboy? Indeed I have. And howdy there, amigos. It's awful nice to be here. Here's a little ditty about our journey and some of the folks that are joining us on this leg of the trip. To the distant state of Texas by the Silver Rio Grande Came a lonesome singing cowboy and a doctor who'd been banned By the haters and the losers, the establishment and Jews And it seemed that they had nothing left to lose they found a home in Texas just a jump from Mexico. They built a powerful signal across the country it could go. Yes, soon those boys were happy, they were grinning ear to ear. They hauled it in in Mexico. Mexico! Mexico. A million bucks a year. A duck. There's old elixirs and rose dawn, she sold her kits. Four ninety-five. Sold their special cures for broken hearts and zits. Algene Octree and Hank Williams joined the famous Carter fam. Cause good old country music ain't no scam. They found a home in Texas, just a jump from Mexico. They built a powerful signal across the country it could go. Yes, soon those boys were happy, they were grinning ear to ear. They hauled it in in Mexico. They hauled it in in Mexico. A million bucks a year. Now, to be clear, when I say a million bucks a year, that was just what Brinkley was making. I don't know about those other folks, but I suspect they were making a good living themselves. Edward, have you ever made a million dollars a year? Uh, not yet, no. Okay, who is the richest person you've ever met? 
So I don't know that he's the richest person because who knows how much money he actually has. But I did run into Trump years ago in New York back when he was doing The Apprentice. And I had that moment that I noticed even then where I thought, oh, it's Trump. And I was a little bit excited to run into a celebrity and see him on the street. And I wondered about it because I didn't particularly like Trump. I didn't hate him, but I didn't particularly like him. And I thought, why did I have that reaction? He's just this jerk who does real estate. But it was there. There is a glow to celebrity. Dr. Parler, who is the richest or most famous person you've ever met? I'd probably have to say the singer-songwriter James Taylor. Oh, and what did it feel like to meet Mr. Taylor? It was sort of a strange situation. I was waiting in line to get his autograph on his most recent album at the time. I can't now remember the name of it. So it was just a very long wait in line and then about five seconds to actually just say hello. (laughs) And keep moving, keep moving. (laughs) And keep moving, yeah. They were trying to get him out of there so he could catch his flight. Anyway, back to our man Brinkley, who by now owns half of Del Rio, Texas. He also owns three yachts, big ones, with his name painted in gigantic letters on the side of each one. And right now, he is on the Queen Mary on the way home from his eye-opening tour of Europe. The year was 1935. (laughs) Excuse me, is this seat taken? Not not as far as I know. My name's John. Uh, Morris. Good to meet you. Been one hell of a trip, I'll tell you. Has it? <laughs> Fine one, though. Well worth the money, which was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, you would think they would keep the bar open at these prices. could get more than one or two before they closed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't drink. It calms the nerves when I'm traveling, you see. I'm glad to almost be back home in Texas, I'll tell you. What about you? Where are you from? Chicago. Oh, what do you do there? I'm a doctor. Me too. What are the odds? I would guess that there are a fair number of doctors here. Well, I suppose you are right. We won't see many chicken farmers on this boat. (laughs) Probably not. Say, where were you visiting? I was meeting with some colleagues in London. That's a nice city. But you know what I like even better? Berlin. Did you visit there? No, I, I didn't. Those Germans, they know how to do things. Never seen a city so clean. Was it? Every bit of it. All due to that president of theirs. Hitler, ever hear of him? Yes. I was impressed. I have to say, very impressed. We could do with a strong leader like that in America instead of that communist, Roosevelt. I see. He'd end this depression in no time. That's what we need, a strong leader. He keeps that place in order, and he doesn't let the Jews walk all over him. That's for sure. I've heard. You know, I I knew the Jews were a problem, but until I visited Germany, I didn't know how much of a problem. The problem with America is we let them control everything, and they don't have to. I should be going. Well, maybe you haven't had a run-in with them, but I have. One of them tried to take away my radio license. Your radio license? That's right. Used to have a radio shop in Kansas. Now we broadcast out of Mexico. Maybe you've heard of me, Dr. Brinkley. Yes, Mr. Brinkley. I've heard of you. 
And you are certainly no doctor. Your license has been taken away, if you remember. I do. My name is Dr. Fishbein. Little old fishy. You don't say. <clears throat> well, well. Here we are. Face to face at last. What do you think of taking care of our differences right here, man to man? I'm going back to my cabin, Mr. Brinkley. I would suggest you go back to yours and sober up. Yeah. You run from me, you cowardly kike. You'll be hearing from me soon. I promise. I'd almost forgotten about you. I won't make that mistake again. Dr. Brinkley, with all his success, had almost forgotten all about Fishbine, too. But no longer. Once again, Fishbine was everywhere, writing editorials, even lobbying the U.S. Post Office to stop deliveries of Brinkley's elixirs. As for Brinkley, he started broadcasting a few new programs, including one by Father Charles Coughlin. Franklin Roosevelt and his coterie may have forced you off the air in America, Father, just like they did to me. But rest assured, you have a voice and a home here on XER. Now, I know you came to your own clarity of thought the long way around as a former Roosevelt supporter, but I'm not going to hold that against you, and I'm sure our listeners won't either. I have heard you speak quite passionately, and I am sure your words here will be inspiring. Thank you, Dr. Brinkley. It is true that once I was deceived by Roosevelt when I thought he was his own man, but pretty soon I found myself asking, who is Roosevelt really? When you look with a clear eye, the answer is sadly obvious. Roosevelt's policies are a poor brand of Russian communism. And who are these communists? I speak of Karl Marx and Vladimir Lenin, both Hebrews by blood. I think it's significant the leaders among the communists of the world never once attacked international bankers. Their allies are the bankers and the press. In other words, the Jews. They think they can hide, but we can see them. We know who is controlling America, and we will overthrow them. When we get through with the Jews in America, they'll think the treatment they received in Germany was nothing. Meanwhile, Fishbein penned a new article about Brinkley for American Medical Association's journal, Hygieia. In John R. Brinkley, quackery has reached its apotheosis. Without anything resembling a real medical education, Brinkley has achieved an enormous success financially. This strange and terrible Goatland operation which made him famous was at best a needlessly dangerous exercise as the glands themselves became uselessly absorbed by the body. Gullible patients, subject to the placebo effect, eagerly attributed their recovery to him. At worst, his poor victims contracted multiple and sometimes fatal infections. His current elixir business, which he sells from his Mexican radio station, is equally egregious. I have tested the Formula 1020 he sells, and it consists of nothing but water and a drop of indigo dye. Yet he makes as much as $55,000 a week. He travels abroad and returns to the country in the finest boats, engaging in drunken and insulting conversation with the passengers. <clears throat> And still, the money rolls in, which proves that the wages of sin 
is not always deaf. Today, I have filed a lawsuit for libel against Morris Fishbein, or little old fishy as I like to call him, for his lies and slanders. He and his people are enemies of America. I will see you in court, Dr. Fishbein. Brinkley was brimming with confidence. Finally, he would be vindicated. He had no doubt about it. After all, the people loved him. And Brinkley had plans. Once Fishbein was out of the way, there would be no stopping him. My friends and listeners, many of you know that I ran and won the governorship of Kansas, though my victory was illegally stolen from me. Well, I am proud to announce today that as soon as I put little old Fishy in his place, I will be getting my campaign for the presidency of the United States. I have looked out into the stars, and they have all aligned themselves in your favor. I predict that you will be the greatest president America has ever seen. Thank you, Rose. Certainly wouldn't be hard to outdo what's going on in Washington nowadays. Why, I've received 500,000 unsolicited letters just begging you to run. But before Brinkley could concentrate on his run for the presidency, his lawsuit against Fishbein came to trial. Next week, we'll hear about that lawsuit and the conclusion of our story. But for now, we're going to talk a little with our guest, Dr. Sam Parler. Hello, Dr. Parler. Welcome back. Hi. Okay. I have waited so long to pick up talking about the Carter family. Could you tell us more about them? This sounds like a group I should know more about. Yeah, they really are regarded as kind of one of the preeminent early groups in country music history. In 1927, there are these famous recording sessions in a city called Bristol, right on the Tennessee-Virginia border, called the Big Bang of Country Music. And the two major performers that record during these sessions are a man named Jimmy Rogers, who is sort of the early rock star of country music history, and then the Carter family. Jimmy Rogers has this kind of bad boy persona. On the other hand, the Carter family, you know, they're a family, right? So they have this kind of wholesome domestic image. Record a lot of early hits for country music, but also establish a very sort of homey, domesticated image that I think a lot of country music continues to have to this day. And how big was the family? How many members? So it was three members. A.P. Carter was the leader of the group. His wife, Sarah, they later divorced, but in public appearances, they pretended that they were still married. Uh, Again, going in with that wholesome family image. And then Sarah's cousin, Maybell, who played guitar. So it was originally a trio. Later on, other family members would join as guests on certain recordings. And of course, you have people like June Carter, uh, daughter that goes on to have her own career in country music in the 50s and 60s and later. And were they well known before radio? I don't believe so. They really performed on their own, just locally in Virginia. These early recordings in 1927 were kind of their big break and really helped make them nationally popular as a group. So Brinkley connected with them over a radio station when he was in Mexico. Did Brinkley have an important position in the history of country music? 
Well, as you know, he was sort of a legendary flim flam man. And he would use on his radio broadcasts, uh, first in Kansas and then later in Mexico, would use music, particularly country music, other kinds of music to obviously attract listeners. Then once he had their ear, he would use that opportunity to advertise his medical wares, if you will. He's particularly important, as I mentioned, in border radio. Sometimes they would be called border blasters. These were radio stations right along the Texas-Mexico border that, because they were located in Mexico, were not subject to the same kind of oversight that radio stations in the United States had. At the time, it would have been the Federal Radio Commission. Today, we know it as the Federal Communications Commission. In the United States, there would be limitations placed on how powerful your broadcast signal could be. In Mexico, there really were not those restrictions. So Brinkley was really important in helping to set up those border blaster stations. And because they were so powerful, this country music could be broadcast to portions of the United States that otherwise would not be able to get groups like the Carter family or other early country music groups on local radio stations. So in that regard, Brinkley is a very influential figure in country music radio in the 1930s. So this may be a guess, but at their highest frequency, how far could he send this broadcast? How far away could you hear this? Well, of course, it would depend on things like the weather, right, Uh, if it's a clear day or not. But from the Mexico border, you could still hear broadcasts, certainly in Kansas, maybe as far north as Nebraska or the Dakotas. So quite a sizable portion of the United States, much more than radio stations in the United States would be able to reach, given the restrictions. Right. And you didn't have that much competition at the beginning there. Right. And in the first episode, we did a riff on a song called In the Pines. We called it It's a Lie. Here's a little bit of that song. It's a lie, it's a lie, the dog told you a lie. Let's blankly state the truth. And you're going to die because he told you a lie. Going to die, it's a lie, it's a lie. Can you tell me something about the history of the song In the Pines? Originally, this was a folk song, the earliest versions in the United States from around the 1870s. And it being a folk song, we don't necessarily know who the original composer was. It's a song that really didn't reach public consciousness until the 1930s, 1940s, when you had commercial recordings made by the singer Lead Belly, African-American blues singer, and then also Bill Monroe, who was very instrumental in the development of bluegrass music in the United States. And I know your specialty is in race and respectability in country music. Could you talk more about what part race plays in the early history of country music? Sure. Of course, that's a very broad topic, but I will say that one of the leading insights or leading trends in a lot of current research going on in country music is to recognize just how artificial the boundaries are between what we know as country music or what would have been called hillbilly music at the time, and then blues music, the music of African-American musicians in the 1920s and 1930s. A lot of research has found that there was a lot of interracial exchange, performers across the color line performing the same repertory, using some of the same techniques. And really the only reason 
or a main reason that we have this distinction between so-called hillbilly records and what we now know as blues, what at the time would have been called race records. This is a distinction that is introduced and enforced by primarily recording companies in the 1920s and 1930s. The idea being that if you categorize or classify music according to racialized genres, then you'll be able to market your music more efficiently to target demographics, so to rural southern white audiences versus to black audiences. When did the term, you said it started with the term hillbilly music, when was country music popularized by that name? Well, in the 1920s and 1930s, the record companies were just starting out, so hillbilly was one word that some companies used, country music was used by others, folk music sometimes, old-time music or old familiar tunes, all of these different labels were being used depending on the record label. The industry doesn't really rally around that label country music until the later 1940s and even into the 1950s. A big reason for that is actually a political one because by the 1950s, there's the sense that the term folk music has as a result of the New Deal and things like that, acquired this reputation for being leftist or even communist. So record companies trying to distinguish themselves from what they perceive as dangerous political stances decide to use the word country music. So by the 1950s, that term has solidified. When did the Grand Old Opry start? The Grand Old Opry originally started in 1925. It started broadcasting under the name the WSM Barn Dance. And in 1927 is when it acquired the name the Grand Old Opry. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Parler, for sharing your knowledge on country music history. Yeah, thank you for having me. In our final episode, we'll be joined by another expert of the subject, Dr. Tracy Laird. And we will hear about the trial that puts an end to Brinkley's political ambitions. But for now, Edward's going to read us the credits this episode was produced by Untitled Theatre Company Number 61, a theater of ideas. It starred Dan Butler as our narrator and host, Tony Tone as John R. Brinkley, Jenny Lee Mitchell as his wife Minnie and Rose Dawn, John Blaylock as the blind cowboy, Craig Anderson as Father Coughlin, and Joshua Wolf Coleman as Dr. Mars Fishbein. Our song in today's episode was We Found a Home in Texas, a parody of My Heart's Tonight in Texas, written in 1920 with the music by Max Witt and lyrics by Robert Rodin. The musical arrangement was originally written by Tom Brewer and further developed by Richard Philbin. The music directed mixed the music and provide all the instrumentals besides the violin. John Blaylock, Jenny Lee Mitchell, and Craig Anderson provide the vocals, and Julia Hoffman was on violin. Richard also composed and played our background music besides the violin parts. The episode was sound designed, edited, and mixed by Josh Samuels. The play was originally presented as a live stage version in New York in October 2018 at the Martha Graham Studios as part of the New York Fringe Festival. My name is Edward Einhorn, and I am the writer and director. Please visit our website, untitledtheater.com, to learn more about the show and our theater company and maybe to contribute. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you can join us for the next episode.